Episode 50, what better thing to talk about than 50 Shades of Grey, the franchise. That's right, people. Brandon, Brandon, we're not, no, we're not. What? We're not talking about 50 Shades of Grey. Don't make me tell you this again. We're we not? not talking about, no, we are not talking about 50 Shades of Grey. I can't. We will not. We've already announced what we're doing for this episode. We're doing... The new best trilogy? <laughs> Brandon. Brandon, I cannot... <laughs> I cannot deal with this. We've already announced what we're going to do anyway, and we're going to do our top 10 favorite movies of all time. Oh, that's right. That's right. We're going to talk about something real and not dog shit movies, those Fifty Shades of Grey movies. What was I thinking? Thank you so much for fixing me up, Jess. Uh, So go ahead and say it again. What are we doing for episode 50, our 50th episode? For our 50th episode, we are doing our top 10 favorite movies of all time. All right, Jess, let's get right into it. Do you want to say it? (gasps) Do I get to say it? Ooh, okay. (gasps) Cue the music. Welcome, everyone, to the Entertainment Buffet Podcast. For the 50th time, I'm Brandon Prosek. And for, like, the seventh time, I'm Jessica Quaz. Okay, it's more than seven. I don't know. I don't rem- I don't know. It's, like, 12 <laughs> or I'm, something. I'm, I'm less than 50, but, hey, I'm still here. You're still here. I'm hopefully, still here. Hopefully you won't abandon me before the, the next 50 episodes are done. I mean, if we if you bring up Fifty Shades of Grey one more time, I will for sure. <laughs> I hope everyone understands that I do not like those movies, much less have seen any of them. There's three, yeah. right? Or there's four? There's. <laughs> you know, I don't really know how many. There, you know what? There's too many. That's how too many. many. There are. Too many. Yes. Just too many. Yeah. Shouldn't have been one at all. It might, whatever. <laughs> whatever. No, you know what? Let's talk about some actual, like you said, non-dog shit movies. Yes, exactly. So uh, this is a callback way back to episode two of the podcast, uh, where me and uh, one of the original hosts, Kelly, did our top ten favorite movies of all time. But uh, yeah, so Jess is going to give her top ten list, and I, um, since it's been two years, we're we're coming up on our two-year podcast anniversary. Yay! I feel like we should have, like, this is an audio sound, but I feel like we should have, like, I don't know, like, fireworks or something exciting. (laughs) Two years. Woo! Yeah, so Jess, I heard from a little bird that was you texting me that you had a difficulty with this top ten list. (laughs) I had, oh man, I've, yeah, I mean, you actually had to, like, coach me through it at some point. You kind of, like... (laughs) Like, Brandon was sending, like, he sent me, like, five texts. Each one was, like, deep questions about my top ten. Like, number one, what movies do you own on DVD? Number two, what movies do you get upset about people haven't seen? Which was a very hard question to ask because I already get very upset about a lot of movies people haven't seen. But, yeah, Brandon, like, really coached me through this because I had, like, too many. And then I would have so many that I'd would second guess all of them and be like, do I even love all these movies? I don't know. It was very difficult, but I plowed through. I got my top 10 and I gotta say, they are so random. My top 10 makes no sense. Like they are all over the board. That's the beauty. No rhyme or reason. 
But hey, episodes 48 and 49 when we did our top 10 of 2017, was that a good warm-up for you to kind of get into the top 10 groove? I think so. It definitely like got me in the critical thinking kind of zone, if you will. Yeah. And like it's funny like this is something that like I like personally started doing like a couple years ago i just i don't know why like i just i love whenever you see those article posts that it's like um top 10 this top 10 of this genre or like they're talking about like seasons of a show from worst to best you know like i love rankings because i love just seeing what people put and like disagreeing and forming my own and yeah top 10s are hard i even joked right before we started this podcast i was like why is 10 such a low number (laughs) it's so hard i even had a tie at number 10 and i changed it like a moments ago yes i (sighs) especially had difficulty because i took some movies off of my top 10 list i reordered some of them got some new ones in there so it was very difficult, but uh, yeah, like for the future, you, you know, this isn't gonna, uh, this isn't like cemented in gold. You know, like we're we maybe an episode a hundred will revisit these, or we'll start to do other top ten lists. Like uh, I don't know if you'd be interested in just maybe doing like top ten animated movies, or like some other genres. Now that you've gotten in the ranking groove. <laughs> I will do animated if you do horror, because I feel like I am <laughs> not well-versed in animated, and you are not well-versed in horror, and I think that I mean, would be a lot of fun. I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't even say I'm versed in animated. I just, like, I, I, I feel like I could come up with ten. But, like, horror, oof, you'd have to really, like, make that loose. <laughs> like, if you let me put on stuff like Tremors. <laughs> Like, I could hopefully come up with 10. But, um, yeah, so uh, just so you guys know, we're going to skip this segment where we usually talk about movies and shows we've been watching recently, just because this is going to be a jam-packed episode. We're going to be talking about, like, 20 movies, and um, we're also going to be skipping the LOL of the week, just because we don't want this to be, like, a three-hour episode. Okay, okay, before we get into this, I told you, I have an update. I have... Well, no, oh, wait. no, no, oh. no. You're getting too far ahead of me. I have an update. <laughs> right. You confused me random, on the treadmill. I totally was so cryptic to you because I just wanted to like... Can you tell the audience what you texted me? <laughs> okay. Okay. I texted Brandon like, by the way, before we like get into our top 10, like I have a random update on what we talked about in the last episode. And Brandon You said was, a like, previous episode. So you didn't say oh, last episode. Oh, I didn't say the last <laughs> Oh, no wonder. Okay, well, whatever. It, that wouldn't have helped you anyway. And then you were like, what did you say? You were like, is it good or bad? And I was like, well, I mean, it's like neither. It doesn't really like affect us. And ultimately, it really doesn't matter. <laughs> and you were like, you literally texted me, seriously, I'm on the treadmill very befuddled. <laughs> and I just like, I, I did just didn't text you back. I was like, you know what? He's going to find out, and he's going to find out why it's not gonna, even that big of a deal. You're like, I'm going to make him fall on the treadmill. <laughs> just like, but I'm, I'm what does she like, mean? I'm like, I'm like on the treadmill doing like the, the five, you're supposed to do like a good few five-minute walking session before you start like running on a treadmill to like get your body warmed up. And I'm walking. I'm just thinking, I'm like, what the fuck is she talking about? Like, <laughs> And you're like, is that good? Is that bad? It doesn't really matter. And I'm like, well, it matters enough for you to text me outright and point out the fact. 
that it's okay, an update. Okay, it really doesn't matter. Okay, but... so what is this update? <laughs> okay, so you probably have not been watching the Olympics like I have, because you know I've been very into the Olympics, but okay. the update is Myra Nagasayu got the triple axel, so Tanya Harding is no longer the only American woman who's gotten the triple axel. So I just wanted to let you know that. In in case you were wondering how Tanya Harding is faring, she's probably really pissed because she no longer has the triple axel to her claim to fame. That's the update. (laughs) But it's been like 20 years. Did she expect that no one would ever break that record? No one had for like 20 years. So there was like a big deal. But like records are meant to be broken. I know, but like, if you see her nowadays, she brings that up anytime she can. Anytime. Shout out to my fellow wrestling fans. Undertaker's streak eventually had to end um, oh at gosh. WrestleMania. I don't, I don't know what that meant, but I believe it's probably like the triple axel. Big deal, big deal. But yeah, I was watching the Olympics. Nagasayu nailed it. She killed it. It was flawless. It was beautiful. She only got the, like, I think the silver or bronze, though, which is kind of bullshit, but whatever. Whatever. She just Um, fell the rest of the run. The (laughs) rest of the run was terrible, but man, was that triple axle beautiful. But yeah, um, just wanted to let you know, because that was something we talked about, that Tanya Harding no longer matters anymore. That was not worth the confusion on the treadmill. No. No. Really no, wasn't. but do you understand what I meant now? That, like, it's not I do. good or bad. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> I do. But I thought, like, I was like, oh, maybe she saw another movie and her top ten of 2017 changed. No. Nope. You know. <laughs> nope. Doesn't yeah, matter. I, which is funny, because I was joking the other day with someone, because, um, like, curling is, like, so absurd to me. It's so, like, ridiculous. That I was like, I would love for there to be like a Tanya Harding esque uh, scandal, but with curling. Like someone's like, oh, someone sabotaged all the brooms. You know? <laughs> That'd be and I was, amazing. And I was just like, like, have you seen the Andy Samberg like HBO TV movies? Uh, one of them is Seven Days in Hell, and the other one yes. is Tour, Tour de Pharmacy. Those are hilarious. I was yes. like, I literally tweeted at Lonely Island. I was like, you guys should do an HBO TV movie um, about curling and, and, and a Tanya Harding-esque scandal with curling. <laughs> and I think I even said, please message me if you'd like another writer to help you. <laughs> so I was like, fuck it. That's, you know, weirder things that, that happen. That would be a dream come true. I hope th- I see that one day. Yeah, the curling catastrophe. I've uh, like, <laughs> I love alliteration. That would have to be like the title, or at least in title contention. But yeah, I, I just, or uh, I just thought about like when they do that quick broom sweeping. Like, why has there never been a time when someone just fucking nails the thing? <laughs> like, <laughs> off the, like shit. <laughs> like, it, it probably has happened, but I feel like in all the years, anytime someone flips on curling, they're always just like as close as fucking possible but they don't touch it and no one just fucking launches it and like hits another player (laughs) and then actually brings some interesting (laughs) interesting moments to curling anyway with curling curling is great (laughs) i just okay i said 
fine, I'm fine. We can keep curling, but can we please add dodgeball on ice? <laughs> that would be wild. Oh, my and, God. With and regular and... dodgeball. Why wait, isn't wait, wait, do- wait, wait. Would it be dodgeball on ice skates, or would you just make people go out there and try not to fall on their ass without skates while playing dodgeball? Both. And regular. <laughs> just every every form of dodgeball. I love dodgeball. I don't understand why that's not like like there's sports like basketball and all these other ones that are so boring to watch. Why isn't dodgeball a sport? God, make that happen. Um, <laughs> I hate dodgeball, but I would watch dodgeball on ice in a heartbeat. Absolutely. <laughs> I would get so into it. <laughs> yes. So, Jess, shall we get into our honorable mentions so warn me how many honorable mentions do you have okay i did trim it down because i had a ridiculous amount so i now have six okay that's normal that's not too much right that's fine (laughs) okay okay anyway okay so these all came super close but ultimately did not make the cut and that is goodfellas alice in wonderland the craft jfk ghostbusters South Park, the movie, <laughs> and all The right. Sound of Music. So if that gives you, like, any indication, <laughs> my list is all over the fucking place. Like, I all over. I am so interested. <laughs> <laughs> so intrigued now. Um, so, like, I'll throw same... Uh, so, as people... As I said before, you can listen to what my 2016 top ten of all time was I technically had 11. I had a a tie in there, but I decided to keep it 10 this time, but just some honorable mentions of some movies that unfortunately got the boot from the list. I still love them. Uh, the great escape, the fugitive, the departed toy story, and also just some other ones I'll throw in there like inception, catch me if you can. And then even I was very tempted to put some newer movies this year, like Logan and disaster artist, but I, uh, decided maybe i should hold off and see how they age but um yeah jess uh and is there any other caveats you want to say going into your top 10 so there is one movie that's on my list that i'm very curious to see if it's on your list and that's a comedy other than that i feel like our lists are gonna be like so different like they're just not yeah um (laughs) No, I mean the only other thing too is like I said, like there it's all over the place. Like like <laughs> it's so all over the place. Like my number four is so different from my number five. Like it's just so wildly different. Um, so that's all I gotta say right now on it. <laughs> awesome. Well, do you want to kick off with your number ten? So my number ten is get out. <laughs> Not a shock to anyone listening, I'm sure. Um, I don't want to talk about it too much because I feel like once I get going on Get Out, I won't stop. And also, I've talked about this movie so many times already on this podcast. Um, But I will say, again, I'm obsessed. I'll talk about it all day if I could. So Yeah, so go um, listen to episode 48 and 49, guys. (laughs) Yeah, shameless plug, hey. Um... (laughs) I put it low, though, because it is still so new, and even though I love it so much, I haven't had nearly as much time with it as I have had, like, every other movie on this list. So, while I'm sure I'm going to continue loving it for years to come, I, I'm not totally 
sure how much I'll love it. So I put it kind of as my, my default number 10. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's odd though because it was not my, spoiler, it was not my favorite movie of 2017, but it, I just feel like, like we talked about it, it has such an impact on like myself and our pop culture that even though it wasn't my favorite of 2017, I think it is like the movie of 2017 that's gonna stand out the most and the movie I'm gonna think about for years to come. Um, yeah, I, 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 I'm trying not to talk about it too much right now. Like, I don't know what to say <laughs> because if I say something, I'll just keep going. So number 10 is Get Out. <laughs> Shocker. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, I completely understand. Get Out is definitely something that we could do an entire episode about. And it's weird. It's just coming up, I think, in a few weeks. It'll be released for one year. It's only a year old. Well, you're right. Like, it, it's almost a year. It hasn't been a year yet. But, like, it's already made such a big splash in less than a year. And it's already had such an influence on the way I look at movies and the way I want to write movies and make movies. So it's really great that it's so strong and it's still so new overall. It's still babies. So... Yeah, it's just, got, see, there I go. I, there I go. I gotta stop. Number 10 is get out. Cut me off. <laughs> All right. Uh, not because I don't want to hear what you have to say, but because we do have 19 other movies to talk about. And I feel like as the list goes on, we're going to be talking more and more about the films because we like them more and more. So my number 10 is uh, a movie that not many people have seen. So my number 10 is the uh, Steve Jobs movie, the one with Michael Fassbender that was directed by Danny Boyle and written by Aaron Sorkin. Um, yeah. So this movie just came out a couple years ago and I only think saw it probably a year ago, but I, this is a movie that I was like, yeah, I'll like it. It's Sorkin. I love Sorkin. For those who don't know who Sorkin is, West Wing, Social Network, uh, Moneyball, Newsroom, one of the best writers out there and um, one of my favorites, like probably tied for, or is my favorite. Basically this movie blew me away because, uh, uh, well, Jess, I, I first should ask, have you seen this yet? This I have. Movie? I love it. Oh yeah. It's amazing. It's great. So like the unique thing about it is like, it's broken into three segments. It, they all, this all takes place before three different launches and like all these interactions that he has right before he has to go on stage and like the acting is incredible fassbender jeff daniels kate winslet seth rogan doing drama and killing it um it's just and like it is sorkin dialogue to where like danny boyle does some cool visual stuff he's a great director but it's just like this is a this is where Sorkin shines. <laughs> Some of the verbal battles between these characters. And um, it was just so unique watching some special features. And, like, I've seen this movie, no joke. I've seen it, I think, three times in the last, like, month or two. You know, like, I just can't get enough of this movie. I've seen it so many times, and it doesn't get old to me. The thing that confuses people is, like, right around within, like, a year or two, Ashton Kutcher was in a Steve Jobs movie that was apparently terrible. So a lot of people can think that they're the same movie or because one is called Jobs and one is called Steve Jobs. <laughs> so, and they came out like within a year or two. So it's very confusing, but you need to see this one. But I'll just give one caveat is 
Sorkin has said that he knows that this didn't happen before every launch. Like, some people are like, did this really happen? Did all these conversations and, like, drama happen right before launch? He's like, no. I just take real characters, uh, real-life people, and use them as characters in my movie. He's like, I believe that all these conversations happen, but I just use the launches as a setting. So it's almost like a play. And, um, yeah, I think that that's so unique and yeah i love it steve jobs number 10 yeah i understand why that's your number 10 it's a great movie it's super unique like you said the structure of it is like you said like a play it's very different i loved it it's great okay so i'm so glad you saw it (laughs) so many people haven't i know and you're right people get it confused with the ashton kutcher movie all the time and i did not see that one but it got panned so I'm sure it's very different. <clears throat> very, very different. Yeah. So, Jess, what is your number nine? So, my number nine is Scream. Have you seen any of the Scream movies before, Brandon? I've seen three. I haven't seen the fourth one. Okay, so the fourth one's actually really good. The third one is the worst. But Scream 1, the first Scream, is my number nine. Um... It's my favorite horror movie of all time. Uh, It was actually like one of the very first horror movies I ever got into, ever saw. And that sort of started and spurred my interest in the genre. So I think that's one of the reasons why I love it so much. Um, Also, there's like just a special place in my heart for cheesy 90s movies. Like, I love them so much. (laughs) Um, But so Scream is directed by Wes Craven, who's one of the godfathers of horror. This was like one of his like later in life movies. Um, And if you haven't seen it, it's about a slasher murderer who is targeting one girl and her group of friends. And um it's really campy and really twisted and at times it's really silly and then at times it's really dark. Um, one reason why I think it's so different from other horror movies is because it's incredibly meta and it incredible. It's, it's just constantly making jokes about like what is happening and constantly drawing attention to the fact that it is a movie. Um, like, so for instance, Jamie Kennedy's character is like a really huge movie buff and he is constantly talking about movies in a way that's talking about the plot. So, like, at one point, like, him and his friends, the whole group that's sort of being targeted, um, are all together at a party, and they have, like, uh, and they're all really drunk, and they're all watching a horror movie. And at one point, like, his character starts going on this tangent about how, like, see, this is what is, like, all horror movies are the same. Like, this is how you survive a horror movie. You don't have sex. You don't, like, say this, otherwise you're going to get murdered. You don't go off on your own. And then, like, that happens in the movie. So it's just constantly drawing attention to itself and, like, blowing itself up and making itself, like, not taking itself too seriously while being, like, a slasher horror, which is so unique because it's almost, like, two different things in one. I don't know. I love it. Um, It's one of my favorites. It's, and it's just, like I said, a 90s, 90s movie. I love it. Um, <laughs> it's so, it's, I love 90s movies. I love the feel of 90s movies. I love that, like, each phone call that comes in from Ghostface is, like, on, like, a landline. And, like, <laughs> like what is that? <laughs> um, but 4 is great, too, because, like, 4 is is more closer to present. And so I think they did a good job, like, meshing technology. But the first one is just the best. Um 
the characters are really weird and really unique and each one of their like the different death scenes are all like really gruesome but at the same time like really campy and ridiculous um yeah scream they're great <laughs> yeah i I'll, I'll just have to say like if we do a top 10 horror movies like one of the scream movies probably the original would be on mine because I, as someone who's not a huge fan of the genre, I like you said, I loved how they are meta about it and they bring up how, oh, most horror movies, this happens, but just when you think they're being goofy, boom, like it gets freaky. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and what I love too is like those that scene and some other scenes like where Ghostface calls them, it's just like one character like roaming around their house talking to a murderer on the phone. Which doesn't sound like the most exciting thing, but it's fun and it's weird. And then it ultimately is dark and twisted. So what is your number nine, Brandon? My number nine. Uh, first, I'll just do a disclaimer. Um, this is part of a trilogy. I know one of these is going to be on your list. Um, and actually, the first was on my list last time, but I actually changed it this time around. I wish I could put the whole trilogy but actually, my number nine is Return of the Jedi. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. That Star one Wars. Of the three. Okay. Star Wars Episode Six. Like, so my last list, I had the original Star Wars. Um, I'm obviously tempted to put Empire Strikes Back on there. But uh, I put Return of the Jedi because um, I know this movie gets a lot of shit with the original trilogy. In all honesty, I wish I could just have the original trilogy like as one movie like as my <laughs> number nine but it, it it's weird like i all three of these i watched so much on vhs as a kid i have the uh just you could probably even see in the background right here is yep, the original I see the, black yes i have VHS the same trilogy. yes from yes. the 90s Love grew them. up on these movies um i don't know what it is like I know Return of the Jedi gets a lot of shit for the Ewoks and, like, another Death Star. But, like, putting those aside, there are some just great things. I love. I really enjoyed the Saving Han Jabba sequence, even though, like, people were like, oh, Boba Fett was lame. It's like, you built him up in your head just because he had a cool-ass helmet. You thought he was these, this amazing bounty hunter. But that's a whole other conversation. Um... But, like, I liked that sequence. Um, I liked seeing that, like, Luke is now, like, a Jedi Master. And, like, he's so much more confident with his powers after his training um, compared to, like, Empire Strikes Back. Um, I love the speeder sequence in the forest. Like, there were so many times I pretended I was, like, on a speeder um, when I was on my bike. One of my favorite scenes of, like, all of Star Wars, not just the original trilogy, was there's a moment during the Vader and Luke lightsaber battle where, like, the music gets, like, very... It's, like, when Luke is, like, getting angry and is just, like, starts... You think, like, oh, no, he's going to the dark side. Like, and he's he's really giving it to Vader, and then he starts just going at him, and then he cuts Vader's arm off. But, like, there's a part where, like, Williams, John Williams' score is just, like... I just felt like that lightsaber battle is the best of the... Um, original trilogy of lightsaber battles one of the best lightsaber battles of like the entire franchise 
I just think that there are so many good things in this movie. The problem is people focus on the Ewoks and they focus on the fact that it's the Death Star again and they don't realize how much fun like some of the other stuff is. I'm going to stop ranting because I can go on for a while, Jess. Ugh. But I could too. Like I could, I could be right there with you about Return of the Jedi. It's great. It's amazing. We talk about Star Wars a lot on here too, so I won't <laughs> entertain it. And I think I'm going to talk about Star Wars some more later, so we can, yeah. 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 So Jess, yeah. what is your number eight? My number eight is Zero Dark Thirty. Have wow. you seen Zero Dark Thirty? I haven't yet. Oh, really? Yeah. It's, oh, I think you would like it. I hope I don't, like, build it up too much for you because not, it's it's kind of a controversial film. Not everyone loves it. Um, so, I don't know. But So, it's uh, the story of the search for Osama bin Laden, and it's directed by my queen, Catherine Bigelow. Um, and, like, I, there's just so many different pieces that I love about this movie. It's intense. It's It's gritty. Uh, it's a true story, but it like most movies that are based on true stories, it doesn't try to like glam up the events. It doesn't try to like make them more heroic or exciting than what they were. It feels very real. Um, at times, it shows how this line of work of working to protect America isn't always exciting and filled with action. It's sometimes just working behind a desk and trying to push paper and just trying to solve an issue. It's so for that reason I think it's really interesting. But while doing that too, it also makes it an exciting story. So we're seeing like what it really looks like to be a CIA agent, which isn't always like a Jack Ryan kind of explosives kind of job. It's it, it can be very gritty and very boring. Um, but at times it gets so intense. Like, there are so many... Like, there are a lot of... <laughs> the movie is so intense in that, like, even when you're they're in a meeting or they're investigating or they're talking or trying to solve a problem, they even though they feel very real, they feel very intense because the stakes are so high. Um, also, the cast is amazing. Jessica Chastain is the lead. Um, she plays, like, the lead detective on the case. Uh, Kyle Chandler, Edgar Ramirez, Joel Edgerton... And also, it's one of the last performances by James Gandolfini. He plays the CIA director. And oh, if wow. any movies, yeah, he's good. And if any movie's gonna make Tony Soprano the CIA director, it's amazing. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, yeah, no, I've I've wanted to see this movie. I just have not got around to it. It's good. Like I said, I hope I didn't like build it up too much because I know some people who have seen it and they didn't like it because they felt like like what I said like it was almost too real. Like one of one person once told me it was like almost like watching a documentary. And I was like that's kind of awesome though. Like that's <laughs> kind of dope. But like that's cool. Um but yeah, I love it. I think it's so great. The year it came out, I saw it like five times. Like I was obsessed with it. I made people watch it. Like <laughs> it was so good and it's the structure of it too is interesting because it's obviously it is a, like beginning to end it is linear but most of the film focuses on jessica chastain and then about the last like eh, like 40 to 30 minutes is more about the actual like on the ground seal team six hunt so it definitely while it's linear it definitely shows 
like how the responsibilities of seeing this through shifted from like someone behind a desk at the CIA in Langlil to like actually like on the ground hunting him. Um, it's amazing. I, I love it. I think it's so great. And I, I love this kind of like intense based on a true story movie where you can like learn about something but also be entertained by it as well. So awesome. that's my number eight. What is your number eight? Uh, my number eight, I know we've talked about this film before, and uh, this was on my list previously. It was in my number 10 spot, and I bumped it up to number eight, and that is uh, Reservoir Dogs. Um, we did a Tarantino ranking episode, and this was actually both of our number one Tarantino movie. Uh, but... Um, yeah, this you you can hear us really go in depth on Tarantino in that episode, but uh Reservoir Dogs, it was a movie that believe it or not, I was not the biggest fan the first time I saw it cuz like I I think I didn't know about the gimmick about the fact that you don't see the heist. <laughs> so I was like, "What the shit? Where's the heist?" And I'm a huge fan of heist movies. Uh, another movie that almost made this list, Ocean's Eleven. I love heist movies. But, um, yeah, like, then I started actually, like, I was like, all right, let me give this another chance. And I kept watching it and watching it and watching it. And it has gotten better every time I've seen it. Um, just the, the fact that it's kind of like a play. The fact that, like, that's mostly in the warehouse and uh, the aftermath of the heist and also showing some nonlinear stuff of what happened before. It's got... Uh, Steve Buscemi, Harvey Keitel, Michael Madsen, uh, Tim uh, Tim Roth. It, it's so good. Like, and I love, just like Sorkin, Tarantino is great at one-liners. You know, are you going to bark all day, little doggy, or are you going to bite? You know, you shoot me in a dream, you better wake up and apologize. It, uh, like, it's great. And, like, uh, the it, it just... I had no idea where it was going when I was seeing it because so often these kinds of movies like with heist movies, you're like, Oh, it's probably going to go this direction. They're either going to fail or they're going to get caught or it's this, you know, but like, this is not about that. This is about these guys and how they're dealing with after the failed heist. So, um, yeah, I don't want to go super in depth about it because we talked about it a ton on our Tarantino episode, but yeah, Reservoir Dogs, guys, if you haven't seen it, you really should. And um, I know a lot of people are like, oh, his best movie is Pulp Fiction. But no, I I personally think Reservoir Dogs uh, flows so much better. Um, just because, I, mean, I don't know if it's because it's a little shorter. There's a little like meat, uh, meat off the bone. Like it's, it's his first movie and he just punches you in the face um, uh, with his first directing movie kind of like pay attention to the me <laughs> and yeah i love it reservoir dogs that's my number eight jess what is your number seven my number seven is a huge departure from my number eight my number seven is anchorman the legend of ron burgundy <laughs> i've seen it so many times um, like so many times it's like it's like my rainy day movie, like when I'm feeling down or I'm feeling sad, like, and I just want to laugh and forget about everything. I put this movie on and it doesn't fail. I just it instantly puts a smile on my face. 
Um, I think like what I love so much about it is that the humor is just so random and it's just so <laughs> all over the place and very rarely like the jokes just like come out of left field like I love that um and there's so many memorable quotes like just saying things from that movie like makes me laugh hysterically like I'm in a glass case of emotions like I just think of like <laughs> Will Ferrell freaking out and I just start like laughing or like Brick where'd you get a hand grenade like I just think it's so funny um it's I don't like it's not like a like a you know Zero Dark Thirty or like a Reservoir Dead like it's not like an esteemed <laughs> movie I realize that there's a lot of like ridiculous jokes in it but it's one of my favorites because like I said it always just makes me feel really good and it always can make me laugh like no fail I love it this is on my top 10 comedies of all time um yeah Anchorman like you said I think uh I would like do a run for money that like for our generation, like people who are in like their, their mid twenties that Anchorman and Mean Girls are like the two most quotable movies. Like <laughs> Ow Dow Brown totally Cow. Agree. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, Brick killed a guy, you know. <laughs> but there's probably Lolo for a while. Uh, you're probably you probably wanted for murder. Um I love there's some minor jokes in that movie that like I feel like these quotes are like the the top ones but like there's little jokes in this movie that I think are downright hilarious that like get glossed over because there's just so many jokes like the moment when they're insulting each other back and forth uh Veronica and uh Ron Burgundy uh, like pirate hooker, you, you know, you look like a blueberry. They're going back and forth, and then she's like, "You have bad hair," and like, <laughs> and like you see a little planet like explode in his eye, and he's just, like, "What did you say?" <laughs> like he just like that's the worst thing. Um, yeah, there are so it's... many like hidden gem jokes like this that like still are hilarious. Like at one point, there's like a, a team meeting, and it's like, like I. Uh, the the head guy, uh, I can't think of his name. Um, Fred Willard's like, character. We, yes, Fred Willard's character. It's like there's been a lot of complaints about like lack of diversity on the news team, and Champ's like, what the hell's diversity? <laughs> and Ron, Ron Burgundy's like, well, I believe that's a, a an old old wooden ship from the uh, Civil War era. <laughs> like, <laughs> and then. They, Fred Willard's like, yeah, no one's concerned about the lack of an old wooden ship. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. God. So good. And, like, yeah, it's just, like I said, like, even, like, just saying the dialogue right now, I'm laughing hysterically. This movie just kills me every time I think about it. Yeah, Will Ferrell's, like, well, he's great at, like, screaming, but he's also, like, great at, like, one of my favorite things that I like to write as a writer, which is uh, stupidity with the utmost confidence. San Diego, it means a <laughs> whale's vagina. <laughs> I thought this might be on your top ten. This was the one I was wondering about, if this would be a crossover on our lists. Not quite. It's, uh, it's, on my, it's my number three for top ten comedies of all time. But uh, didn't quite make the list of all time, all time. What is your number seven? My number seven, um, this was on my list previously. That is Scott Pilgrim versus the World. 
quick before I go into this, Jess, have you seen this movie? I have, but I haven't seen it since it like first came out, so it's actually been quite a while for me. I know, I gotta rewatch Sheesh. it. Yeah. Um, this movie, this made me just love the director, Edgar Wright. Um, it, it is just wild. Like, the first time you see it, I feel like it, it just seems very just kind of like, oh, that was weird and interesting. But, like, when you watch it again and then keep watching it, sort of like Anchorman, like, there are so many hidden gems. And, like, the amount of effort that Edgar Wright makes, like, every, like, camera movement, every transition between scenes, every, like, graphic on the screen, everything fucking matters. And it is hilarious. Um, it seems like it's, oh, it's a typical love story. It's like, no. Um, I love the best way it's kind of, uh, I believe it was described by one of the cast members, is this movie is kind of like a musical in a sense, but instead of breaking out into song, they break out into like video game-like action sequences. <laughs> Where it's just like, just, just part of the world. They... <laughs> They fight people, and then when you beat someone, they just turn into a bunch of coins. <laughs> <laughs> Chris Evans is in this. Brandon Ruth, uh, uh, Brie Larson, before she was famous. Like, there's so many. Oh, uh, Abby Plaza was in this. Anna Kendrick, obviously, stars uh, Michael Sarah and Mary Elizabeth Winstead. But so many people just in these bit roles for such a goofy movie that um, to me, it's like a it's literally like a wild ride because, um, like I said, everything matters. There's so many little jokes that I feel like when you first see the movie, you're just processing the plot. But when you go back and watch, you're like, oh, my God, the editing, the visuals, the music, um, the, the like the fact that Scott Pilgrim's band, the Sex Bob-Oms, their music is good, too. It's just incredible, and I think it's super, super, super underrated because Edgar Wright has done Hot Fuzz. He's done Shaun of the Dead. Um, he now recently did Baby Driver. But to me, favorite Edgar Wright movie is going to be Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Jess, do you have anything to say? I know it's been a while. But uh, I'm guessing, did you enjoy this film when you saw it? I did. No, I did really like it. And I was actually just thinking about it the other day. So it is one that I'm going to have to rewatch soon because it is very fun. I did really like it. So Jess, uh, now we're moving on to our number six. What is your numero seis? My number six is Mean Girls. Hey, yeah. speaking of quotable movies. I know, it's so funny. <laughs> kind of like, called out our generation. You, I know, it's so <laughs> funny you just brought that up. Because I was actually thinking, like you said they're the most quotable movies. I totally agree with you on that. 100% they're the most quotable. But I also think, like, give it some time. I think Anchorman and Mean Girls are going to become, like, some iconic comedy of our generation. Like, because there's still, I mean, those both... I think they already are. I think, yeah, exactly. I think they already are. Like, because there's still, like, I mean, they're only about 10 years old each, but we still, like, are t talking about them. We're still making references to them. Like, Mean Girls pops up on the internet all the time. Um, it's just, it's, so for me, it's like, like, with Anchorman, that it's like one of my rainy day movies. When I'm in a bad mood, when I just want to, you know, laugh and forget about my troubles, I turn this movie on and it always always does the trick like I'm always I've seen it so many times I still laugh my ass off each time um 
I think though, like one reason why for me and probably like a lot of people our age who when we when this movie first came out, I was in middle school and yep. middle school kids are real bitches. Like kids can be fucking nasty in middle school. So like I yes. I mean, I was bullied in middle school. I had some real mean girls in middle school. And so I think that's like why it really resonated with me. It was actually really awesome because I went to go see it. Like, it was one of, like, the first movies I got to see in theaters, like, by myself. And, like, my dad dropped <laughs> off, like, me and my friends. And, like, we went to go see it, you know? So it was, like, a big kind of deal. And, like, we'd all been sort of bullied, too. And so, like, we all just, like, really enjoyed it and really, like, needed a movie like that. Um, but, yeah, for that reason alone, I think it spoke to so many people. Because we've all dealt with some, like, real assholes, especially in, like, a school setting. Um, and... I, like I said, I think it's just, like, gonna stick around. Like, over the years, it will become a real classic comedy movie. It is now. It's, it's still in our pop culture. Um, but like we were saying, like, it's so quotable. Like, some of the lines are so funny. Like She doesn't even go here. She, you don't, do you even go here? Like, my favorite is, I don't hate you because you're fat. You're fat because I hate you. Like, that's brilliant. I think that's amazing. Or like, so if you're from Africa, then why are you white? Oh my God, Karen, you just can't ask people why they're white. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like it's just so funny. Like the lines are so funny. And like the, the dialogue and some of these lines have like ingrained into pop culture. Like on Wednesdays where we wear pink or like now instead of saying like, you can't sit with us. And now everyone's so woke as fuck for saying you can sit with us. Like, I, I just, I love it. I think it's so funny. It's also one of the last times we get to see, like, Lindsay Lohan as a normal person. So, like, memories. <laughs> I was wondering if you were going to go there. Of course I was going to go there. I'm obsessed with Lindsay Lohan. I think she's such a train wreck. <laughs> like, I love her in, the, like, the most ironic way you can love somebody. I love Lindsay Lohan. But this was, like, this was, like, I think her last, like, real shot, yeah, like, real movie where she, like, proved that. Because she was talented. Like, she really was. And this, she's so brilliant in this movie too. She's really funny and innocent and then becomes, it, it transforms with the character. So, I mean, I do miss like normal Lindsay Lohan. I do. Which, <laughs> another thing too, it's crazy like how many actors like who maybe weren't that famous at the time like went on to be pretty famous. Like uh, Lizzie Kaplan. Rachel McAdams. Oscar well, nominated Rachel, Rachel McAdams as Regina George. Yeah. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> Sometimes I don't recognize her with the blonde hair. I'm so used to seeing her like brunette or with like red hair. But uh, even Amanda Seyfried has had a pretty good career. Um, this made me just like fall in love with Tina Fey. <laughs> oh, I think this movie made everyone fall in love with Tina Fey because like obviously we all really liked her in SNL, but this was like, I mean what I can remember, this was, like, her first thing outside of SNL that really, like, solidified her as a talented comedian, yeah, really. For someone who isn't really big on SNL, like, yeah, this was eye-opening to me. And, like, I, I always have to tell this story, but I had a friend back in the day when we saw this. Uh, believe it or not, this is this shows our age, Jess. When we rented it at Blockbuster. <gasps> <laughs> we rented it on Blockbuster on a Friday night. Uh, I had, didn't see it in theater. But um, I had a friend who joked pretty much any time a character in a movie was in the street, he said, like, hit by a truck or hit by a car. <laughs> you, you know, like, he, he always was like, 
hoping for it and it like would never happen and then there's the, the scene where regina george is in the middle of the street and then boom gets hit by a bus and he was so happy um <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah that and the endless quote you know i didn't leave the south side for yes. this you know <laughs> tim meadows so underrated um, and even Amy Poehler in her tiny, tiny role, uh, is hilarious. She's so uh, great as Regina George's mom. Just like <laughs> before, like the Real Housewives culture was a thing. Like Amy Poehler just brought it. I loved it. Like all and like, <laughs> like even like small things like while they're at the family house and like uh, Regina George's little sister is like grinding on her teddy bear, like trying to learn how to be slutty. Like. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely, uh, I think it already is iconic. I I think it's, it has like some good messages and themes and performances. Yeah, it's it's a classic. It is. Mean Girls, love it. It's great. I don't think there's so much, any much more we could say about it because I, I still think at each scene, I laugh at it too. Like it's not just like a couple of chuckles, like I laugh hysterically through and through from beginning to end. Awesome. So, would you like to? What, <laughs> so then, what is your number six? My number six. Um, this is actually uh, this used to be way up at my number three, but I, I shoved it down a few spots. Um, that is the Breakfast Club. Wow. Okay. Yeah, and I know some people are like are surprised when I say that, but it's like I'm starting to notice a theme here with like the kind of style I like, which is so weird. I never knew I would say this, but like this movie, I I really like this movie's kind of like a play. I like when movies aren't in many locations and they just focus on the characters. And like I think Breakfast Club, like John Hughes is one of my favorite writers. I think he made like he. This was like, and it's probably seems like dated now, considering like with technology and like schools now, but like this was so accurate. You know, you had the athlete, the the dweeb, the 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 princess. You know, like this was like you uh, you went to school where like there you knew people in all these categories of people, and uh, just the idea of them being stuck in detention for like eight hours or whatever made it seem like an eternity. But like. The movie, despite it being, like, kind of seems like, oh, is it just going to be another, like, teen comedy? Like, no. Like, it gets into some deep shit. And, like, I, uh, I'll i admit, there's been times where, like, I've started tearing up or cried at this movie when they start going on about, like, their, their parents or, like, the way other people treat them at the school uh, or, like, God, the moment when uh, Anthony Michael Hall's character asks if they're gonna still talk to each other on monday god that i've wondered that ever since like i was a kid and i saw this movie i'm like did they talk to each other on monday (laughs) (laughs) i hope they did i hope they changed you know (laughs) do you think they did do you think Um, they remain friends i i part of me hopes so but part of me thinks that even if they did that they eventually drifted apart I don't know. Even though, like, they coupled off except for Anthony Michael Hall. Um, I wonder if they continued dating or what. Uh, or just became, like, fuck buddies. I don't know. I, like, I just think John Hughes, 
is one of the most underrated writers. Like a lot of people are like, oh yeah, he did Breakfast Club and Ferris Bueller. It's like, no, he did Breakfast Club. He did Ferris Bueller, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, Home Alone. Like he wrote so many classic movies that like we still love from the 80s and 90s today. And also like the crazy thing is like a lot of these movies he writes in like less than a week. You know, <laughs> like he it's just so like some of these I'm pretty sure I read he wrote them in like a weekend, which of course, like there's tons of stuff that he cut and like he even had an idea for like a sequel to this. But like, yeah, the fact that he could just pull this off in less than a week is insane. <laughs> like it takes people years to write uh, certain movies or like to rework it and whatnot. And I, I just think he was taken too soon and was an iconic uh, writer and filmmaker. I mean, I agree. I think it's an amazing movie. I think the script is incredible. The characters, I mean, there's a reason why it's like lasted this long in pop culture. I'm just was more sh- surprised because no offense, like I know your taste in movies and that was, it just felt <laughs> out of left field compared to what I know what you like. But, you know, understanding that you are a writer and like we said, the script is amazing. The characters are amazing. It does make sense. Now that I've heard the explanation, but yeah, it was more Even so though... <laughs> more so shocked by like you choosing it, <laughs> not so much shocked of, like <laughs> it being in anyone's top ten. Does that make sense? <laughs> that means there are some other movies that got moved into my top five. So, uh, uh, speaking of top five, let's get into it. Jess, what is your number five? Number five: Silence of the Lambs. Oh, classic, right? It's a classic. I think it's a classic. You have you seen it, Brandon? So <gasps> I'll admit I haven't seen it. Let, let's, <gasps> let me finish. <laughs> let me finish. Jeez, you're getting shocked. I haven't seen it like from start to finish, but I'm pretty sure I've seen like the full thing, like out of order. Like I would turn it on TV and like see a good chunk or like watch it from like the part I w- it was at to the end or so forth but like I don't think I've seen it from fade in to fade out. <laughs> okay, okay. Okay. I want to. You sh- you I'm need, not avoiding you it. You need to. You need to. You need to for <laughs> sure. Oh my god. Well, okay, so you've seen pieces of it, so you at least know the gist of it, I assume, but it for those of you who don't... I'd probably say a good 70 to 80% of it. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. I'll, uh, not, uh, okay. Um, <laughs> well, so the whole movie is is following Clarice Starling, who's amazingly played by Jodie Foster, um, and she is working with a cannibal murderer to solve another crazy murder crime. It's very gory, so I don't know like how specific I should get on the plot because like I don't know, there might be kids listening. I have no idea who what you listeners do with your free time. Maybe you're babysitting. I don't know. Um but anyway, so she uh is is getting the help from Hannibal Lecter, who is a genius. He's you know, even though he's a cannibal murderer, he also knows criminology. So he is helping her uh, solve this crime, but he's unreliable because, you know, he's a cannibal murderer. Um, but he's helping her track Buffalo Bill, who is, uh, I guess we'll just, the best way to put it is trying to make a skin suit for himself. <laughs> anyway, 
again, very different from Mean Girls, like very different. <laughs> um, but uh, it's just the 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 acting is amazing. The scenes between Jodie Foster and Anthony Hopkins are just so tense and so uh, you just you feel it. You feel what these these two different characters are trying to get out of each other. Um, even if you haven't seen it from start to finish, you have seen pieces of it. But let me tell you, like the story is so intense, and as it keeps going, the intensity just builds and builds and builds um I think that's why I love it so much is because even though I've seen it so many times each time I watch it like even though I know how it's going to end I'm still so drawn into it I'm so fascinated by it and it's like you're you're like for me when I watch it I'm so engrossed in what's happening I almost forget where it's gonna go even though I already know it so for me, it's just like one of those <laughs> classic, like dramatic films that every piece of it's incredible. The, the writing, the acting, the look, the feel, um, the villains, the complex, you know, unreliable characters. Um, and Anthony Hopkins as Hannibal Lecter is iconic. It's an iconic character. I haven't seen any of the other movies where he's played Hannibal Lecter because I've heard they're terrible. Um, I don't know about that, but what I know is from this movie, like him as Hannibal Lecter is iconic. And I think it will be one of those iconic characters and performances that people think about for years to come because they already have. I mean, it's still, he's still very much in our zeitgeist, you know? Um, so yeah, and it's, I don't know, like, I don't know, would you consider Silence of the Lambs to be a horror movie? That's, I, I mean, it's, like, I've heard it's been deemed kind of in the horror genre, but also just, like, thriller, psychological, you know, yeah. I don't know. I, I, I believe people have designated it that it is, like, crime, horror. Totally, yeah, I feel like, I like, I don't know, like, I don't want to box it in because it's you know, I could see the horror of it. I've always thought of it as, like, a true crime thriller, but it really wasn't until I was making this list that I started to wonder if, I don't know, if it was actually horror. I think it's more, like, thriller with horror elements. I was wondering this because I've always said that Scream was the first horror movie I saw, but then I was wondering if I've been lying to myself all these years and it's actually Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> so, that, so now that you say, you know, that I'm just going to say no. Scream is still the first horror movie I've ever watched. But, um, I mean, it's and Silence of the Lambs, it's amazing, it's great. It's not a movie to just, like, put on when you just want to, like, hang out. Like, it's definitely, like you got to be in the right mindset to kind of watch it because it is very heavy. But it's also, there's a reason why it's a classic. There's a reason why it won Oscars. It's, it's on the AFI's list. It's on a lot of people's lists. It's great. It's on my list. Um, yeah, it's, I, I absolutely love it. So, all right, we're in the top half. What is your number five? My number five, this is a new addition to my top five and top ten, and that is The Matrix. Oh, Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. This is a, this is like a movie that like, as I've gotten older and like looked at it more as like a filmmaker, I think a lot of people like to shit on it because the second and third one, people thought like it went off the rails and just like, but like, I'll be someone who will defend the other two, but just judging this movie, the writing, the direction, like the world building 
it is incredible what the Wachowskis accomplish. Like, the, this is this is a movie that I could have totally seen. Like, if one thing was changed, that it would have like flopped. Like, you know, you think of movies like uh, Battlefield Earth with John Travolta. Or like John Carter, you know, like 10 years ago with Taylor Kitsch or whatever. Like you think of all these other sci-fi movies or Valerian this last year. Like these weird ones that totally tanked. And like The Matrix could have been that. But like it wasn't because it was like a perfect blend of sci-fi. But also like kung fu action. Like kind of like old school like uh, karate sequences. Which I... One thing I've always said, like with my action stuff, kind of like why John Wick is getting so much love now, is I love when they actually have the actors doing the stuff and they show it. Opposed to they do quick cuts where it's like, boom, boom, it's here, it's here, and then you actually don't see them fighting. (laughs) Like it's just kind of edited around it. And so I think The Matrix is incredible with that. Lawrence Fishburne, like just delivering about like what happened in the future and that like the world you know isn't real. And uh, even though some people think like, oh, Keanu Reeves could have been this, like they could have casted someone better. It's like, "Eh, I don't know. I heard some of the other choices, like Will Smith and some other people, and I'm like, I don't think this film would have had the same feel with someone else in it. I think he kind of needed to be like, whoa, because, like, this is weird. Like, <laughs> wakes up in this, like, weird cocoon thing and has plugs in him. <laughs> like, it is so absurd when you, like, describe it, but it's also, like, genius. It was different. It was... I think it's it's brutal. There's some like twists with some character deaths that like people don't see coming, and it's cool because it's a great fish out of water story. But then, uh, even though that is already happening, then they just turn things on its head and change it. And yeah, I just think it's iconic. It's obviously known for the slow mo bullet sequence, um, and like kind of changed visual effects forever. And I, I just think it's like one of my favorite action movies of all time, but also like sci-fi. It's just so smart. Like I said, this totally could have not worked in like an epic proportion and just been a gigantic flop, but it, it, it wasn't, it was great. And we can even debate it on another podcast, but I, I believe that this is a good trilogy. Um, despite like people thinking the other two aren't good, but like, if you're going to hate on those, fine, but you can't hate on the first one. I agree. I'm one of the people that hates on the second and third one, though. I think they're atrocious, but the first one is great, and it's groundbreaking, and it's different. I understand why it's definitely in your top ten. It's a great film. Um, yeah, I, I think as a trilogy, I can't get behind it, but as like the <laughs> first one, only that one, absolutely. It's amazing. It's incredible. But uh, that's that's going to bring us to our top four. Jess, what is your number four? Total Departure from Silence of the Lambs. My <laughs> number four is Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, that tunnel sequence? Is it that much different? <laughs> no, that shit is crazy. That tunnel sequence, man. Um, well, okay, so it was one of my favorites as a kid. Like, I, I loved it as a kid. I think... It's whimsical and it's 
fun and it's this fantastical and colorful land that's all made out of candy. Like, what is not to love about that, right? Um, <laughs> as I get older, I realize, like, the dark undertones that were totally there. Like, like the, like, like the, that sequence, like, is, is insane where he's, like, like, they're in the tunnel and, like, the lights are happening and they're all, the kids are like, Daddy, make it stop! And he's just, like, freaking out. I don't know why that didn't traumatize me as a kid. I was, like, into it. I was like, all right, cool, whatever. Um, or, like, you know, like, the subtle chillness of murdering children. Like, that's kind of weird. Like, every time, like, one of those kids, like, has... Saw before it was saw. <laughs> like, he's really chill with the fact that, like, a bunch of dead children bodies might be around his factory. Like, he's totally cool with it. Cause he fu- but, like, also, I kind of relate to that because he fucking hates those kids. And those kids suck. Like, I kind of, like, kind of yeah. fucking get it. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> um, but I, I just, I love it. I think it's, like I said, it's fun and it's magical and it's, it inspires imagination, I think. And it inspired imagination for me at a very young age. I'm just seeing, like, all the different types of things that could be made out of candy and eaten is dope. Um, So, also, like, fun fact, the book was written by Roald Dahl, which is also, like, a really good kid's book that I liked as a child. And I actually, like, through researching the top ten, I didn't know this, he actually wrote the script for it, too, which is so cool. Like, it it wasn't adapted by anyone else. He did it, so... Oh, wow. Right? I had no idea. I think that's so awesome. Because I thought there was stuff changed from the book, wasn't there? Yeah, but apparently it was his changes, which makes it even better. Like, knowing that, like, the story transferred from book to film was transferred in a way from the original story that, like, works. And, you know, I think that's really cool. I didn't know that. Um, Also, I'm just going to say it. I don't care if you agree with me or not. The music rocks. (laughs) The music is dope, except for the scene where Charlie's mom is having, like, her moment. Like, that scene is ridiculous, and it sucks. Like, cheer up, Charlie. Like, Wait, why were you going to say that I would hate the music? Okay, no, because it's all very campy and cheesy music, and I realize that. And, like, not just you, but, like, anyone in general, come at me. The music rocks. I love it. Um, except cheer up, Charlie. That song is terrible. Um, but, like, pure imagination... That's a great song. Like, that song is still, I think, awesome. Um, so I, it's, like, one of the, again, one of those movies where, like, all the pieces I just really enjoy. I think it's fun. I think it's different. Um, it's quirky as shit. And, like, like I said, even though, like, I <laughs> notice the dark undertones now that I'm older, like, I still think it's fun. Like, I don't really care if kids got murdered in a chocolate factory. Is that wrong? Is that wrong? They sucked. <laughs> yeah, they kind of all deserved it. They all like, really they, suck, though. Like, except like they. I will say too, Charlie's not that great. Like Charlie, really, like, <laughs> like, like I guess like the whole moral of the story is like be a good person and you'll get rewarded. But like, if you think about it, Charlie's really not that great. Like all he does is like not be an asshole. Like that's all he sort of does is like just not be a dick. And like that's not. I feel like we should hold ourselves to a higher standard. But anyway. <laughs> But so he's not that great. I I recognize that. It's like, you know, he kind of sucks. But overall, it's amazing. I love it. It is my number four, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Not to be confused with that god-awful remake with Johnny Depp. That is terrible. No. Original Gene Wilder. (laughs) Gene Wilder forever. I refuse to... 
I refuse to see Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Don't. It's actually like nightmare fuel. Like, all, like, like you know, like there's all these dark undertones in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, but they're like all like coated with like color and happiness and like cute little Oompa Loompas that like were poor and sad and now are like happy little like Chocolate Factory slaves or whatever. Like in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, that's all fucking gone. Anyway, what's your number four? <laughs> <laughs> After that tangent. Uh, my number four is a classic, and that is Back to the Future. Nice. Yeah, I am a sucker for time travel. I love time travel movies. Like, there's probably, like, one or two that I almost put on my top ten because I just love time travel. I think Back to the Future is one of, if not the best time travel movie it is a perfect blend of like sci-fi and like comedy, um, but there's also some dramatic stuff. And like some people are like, "Isn't it kind of weird that like his mom wants to, like comes on to him?" And it's like, "Yeah, you can look at it like that, but like, it's I don't know. Like I I think it's such a crazy story. Like the idea of like growing up in this era and then being thrust back into the time. Like because." You know, like, when you're growing up and you're, like, you can't believe that, like, your parents were kids once. (laughs) And, like, this is, like, the ultimate, like, literally, like, while you were your parents' age, I'm going to throw you back in time. And then, like, him trying to get back. And, like, it could have just been, like, a campy, fun movie. But, like, they actually put stakes to it. And um, I think uh, Michael J. Fox is amazing. I think... Uh, Christopher Lloyd is fantastic. Marty, Marty, you gotta come back with me. Um, it's it, it, like it is just iconic, like the DeLorean. Um, having to go to any time I'm like close to 88 miles per hour on the highway, I'm just like, you know. <laughs> um, I, I like I just think it's such it's so good. Like the score is good uh like the special effects when like the the time travel is happening um i i think it's just so unique and and like it's funny like this this kind of reminds me of like the matrix where it's like when you like look at it like this many years removed and like describe this plot someone probably like that sounds ridiculous that won't work a dude goes back in time and is like the same age as his parents and he has to get them together. Otherwise he'll like disappear into existence. Like that's stupid. You know, like, <laughs> like we grew up with it and it's so amazing now, but like it, God, I feel like just one, one change, like, and this was a movie that's actually known for, there was going to be a different guy in the lead, Eric Stoltz, uh, who like, I guess one of his more famous roles is the, the ginger drug dealer in Pulp Fiction, um, he was almost Marty. They literally shot, like, I want to say, like, a month's worth or, like, a few weeks' worth, like, a good amount of footage with Eric Stoltz. And they're just like, God, we love him, but, like, this just isn't working. And, like, Michael J. Fox was on Family Ties at the time, so, like, they had to work things around. And, like, talk about a change that, like, like I said... We could have never spoken about Back to the Future years later if Eric Stoltz was in it. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh, yeah. And I, I actually like the second and third one, too. I know most people don't. I do. I think the whole trilogy is fun, but I, I do think this, the first one is the best. I didn't know that, though, about um, 
Michael J. Fox almost not being Marty. Like, that's so wild. Like, you're right. Like, right? without him, it could have just become, like, some weird, like, B-movie that everyone forgot about. That's so interesting. Yeah, like, I want to say it was, like, weeks, if not, like, a month of filming. Like, there was a lot of footage done. Like, it wasn't just, like, one day and they're like, whoops. Like, I think it was a, a fair amount. <laughs> Way back in the day, like, okay, showing our age again, VHS. I, like, my brother, we watched this so many goddamn times. Whenever we would go on family road trips, because my mom doesn't like to fly, we had a little nine-inch TV in the back that had a VHS player. And, like, my mom, like, you want to bring a few movies? And we're like, all right, we're bringing Back to the Future, Star Wars, and whatever else. (laughs) (laughs) It was like, it was those, and whatever else we want to bring. Because, like, Back to the Future never got old to us. So, yeah, um, I don't know if you love Back to the Future, but I surely do. It is great. I don't love it like some people love it, but I understand why some people love it. All right. We're getting to our top three, Jess. Jess, what is your number three? Yes. So my number three is Reservoir Dogs. So far, the only crossover. Hey. Hey. What was it for you? Was it number eight? Yeah. Okay, so interesting. Like, same movie, different placement. Well, I won't talk about it too much because we, like you said, have a whole Tarantino episode where we talk about it. You just talked about it. It's an amazing movie, though. I love it. Um, I was thinking about, like, why I love it so much, and I think what it really comes down to is the script for me. I think the script is so solid and so strong even after 25 years of it being out in existence, it still feels so fresh and so compelling. Like, every time I watch it, I'm still drawn in by it. And it's like I was saying um, with Science of the Lambs, like, I know where it's going to go. I know it's going to happen, but I'm so sucked into that moment. It almost feels like it's the first time I'm watching it. And very few movies have that sort of excitement for me. Um... Uh, and like the I like there are just so many different compelling different moments that like as soon as it happens like I'm in like like any scene like when Mr. Blonde first shows up at the warehouse um and like nice guy Eddie's lines of dialogue and any scene he's in I'm just like I'm just obsessed with it I love it um also the soundtrack is incredible I listen to the soundtrack still like just just, like, working out at the gym, like, listening to, like, Green Little Bag, like, you know, whatever. Um, of course, like, the movie Forever Change stuck in the middle with you, for me, like, <laughs> I cannot hear that song and not think about someone's ear getting cut off. It's just how it goes. Um, but yeah, like, I think that's really what, it, like, when you boil it all down, the, all the elements are great. The acting's amazing. Like you said, it does feel like a play because it is pretty much, like, in one location for majority of it. They do do some flashbacks where you learn more about characters. Um, but for the, for the most part, it is all sort of in one spot. And so with that, like, a movie cannot rely on production design or gimmicks to distract you. When it's all in one spot, it all comes down to the story and the dialogue and what's being said and what's happening. And so just just the ability to like make a group of guys in a warehouse for pretty much the whole movie so fascinating is incredible. So for me, I, it's just the script. When it comes down to it, the script is amazing. It's probably one of my favorite scripts of all time. Um, but yeah, number three, Reservoir Dogs. 
It's a classic in my opinion. I love it. And it's my age. What do you know? It came out the year I was born. It's like we were made for each other. We were both born in 92. Oh my god! It's like we were all made for Reservoir Dogs. Oh my god. Yes. And actually, like, I recently had looked at 92. It was a fucking good year for movies. Um, But, uh... Actually, this may be a perfect transition because my next movie was also from 1992. Oh, what's your next movie? What's your number three? My number three is A Few Good Men. I thought about putting this on my top ten as well. Yes, so this was also on my top ten before. It was a bit higher, but the more I've watched it recently, the more it's, it's jumped up, and it is my second sorkin script that is on uh my top 10 list uh there's good reason why he's my favorite uh one of my favorite writers um i just recently within the last few weeks showed a couple people who hadn't seen this movie like they had heard of like the iconic like you can't handle the truth but like oh my god one thing jess if you can watch this movie and notice this this movie People throw so much shade at one another. <laughs> like, Sorkin is, like, the king of sass. Like, there are so many lines where people kind of take little jabs at each other and, like, keep going. And we're just, like, ruthless. Like, everyone is so ruthless. Um, but, yeah, uh, obviously, it's got the infamous final scene with Jack Nicholson saying you can't handle the truth. It's in like the top 100 movie quotes of all time. But um, this movie is so much more. Um, Tom Cruise, this is one of my favorite performances by him. I know that like recently he's just been like, hey, look at what he can jump off of now. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, so it's true. Really what it is. He won't hey, just stay look on at the him ground. running again. Like, just calm he's... down, Tom Cruise. Calm down. Have you seen this super cut of him running in all of his movies? Jesus, I have not. <laughs> like, I think someone clocked it. Like, the amount of time he's run in movies, I think, is like nine minutes or something insane. <laughs> like, <laughs> Like someone literally stop clocked like all the scenes where he's just running, but anyway, that's besides the point. In this movie he does not really run, but um, it is the best courtroom movie. It uh, uh, it it was based off a play that Aaron Sorkin wrote, which it's so strange because when he was developing the play, they already were like, "This script is so good, we want to make the movie." He's like, "The play is not even out yet." <laughs> like it came out, I'm pretty sure like the same year or like while they were filming, but like everyone was just like, "Sorkin, this script is so goddamn good." Um, you could tell like why he went places. Um, but um, one thing, and I know this is like not something a lot of people bring up, but one of my favorite things about the movie is like so Drew Barrymore is also great in this movie. So is Kevin Bacon, Kevin Pollack, so many people. But, Jess, you've seen this movie a fair amount. You, you said you almost wanted to put it in your top ten, right? Mm-hmm. So you know how they kind of tease whether Tom Cruise and Drew Barrymore will be romantically involved? Mm-hmm, yes. I love the fact that they totally didn't do that. Like, the, the movie, and this was actually, I recently read an interview where Sorkin... Because he recently came out with Molly's Game, which uh, came out at the end of 2017. And uh, he was bringing up a story where, like, there was a this is a true story um, that one of the studio execs is like, why don't you have Drew Barrymore get together with Tom Cruise? 
And he's like, they're defending two guys that could go away for murder. They're just worried about the case. They're not worried about getting laid. And the studio exec literally said, well, why don't you just make Drew Barrymore's character a guy so no one gets confused? And, like, if that doesn't show, like, the problem (laughs) in Hollywood with female characters, and I'm, like, so glad that we are not, we are nowhere near where we need to be, but we are gotten better since then. Um, But, like, and I love that Sorkin stuck to his guns. He's like, no, she is a good lawyer, and, like, sure, they can maybe flirt, but they're not, it's not about their romance, this story is about this court case. It is about how Tom Cruise's arc about being uh, someone who fights for something opposed to like running away and just like taking the easy way out. And like Drew Barrymore also betters herself. And like it, it is about this case. It is not about romance, which I just think that is something it should be commended for. Yeah, I totally agree, especially movies around that time, because movies around that time, women were just, like, naked for no reason, or just, like, eye candy, and, like, you know, like, they were just, like, there, and they didn't really serve much of a purpose. If they did serve a purpose, then that purpose went away as soon as they hooked up with a guy, you know? So I totally agree. I, I think that's amazing, especially for that time. I think Sorkin has been writing, a male writer who's been writing with a feminist perspective for a very long time and he's still doing so. Um, but like real quick, do you mean Demi Moore? <laughs> what do I say? Drew Barrymore. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking of a scream. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, I mean, yes. Drew Barrymore is really awesome, but the whole time I was like, <laughs> can she act that well? Wait, who? She's in a Sorkin movie? What? And then I looked it up real quick and I was like, oh yeah, yeah, no. Yes. It's funny because, like, my mom is a paralegal, and, like, obviously she doesn't have as much courtroom experience, but she said that, like, that movie is, like, one of the few courtroom things that actually seems somewhat accurate because there's a great line where, uh, not Drew Barrymore, but Demi Moore (laughs) keep. <laughs> I'm so sorry I said Drew Barrymore. God. I d- that's like you with always confusing Alan Rickman and Gary Oldman. I know. Uh, <laughs> but basically, um she's like, Do you think they're innocent? Do you think they did it? He's like, It doesn't matter what I believe, it only matters what I can prove. Like because like that's how it works in the court. Like it doesn't matter like what the quote unquote truth is. It's about trying to find the truth and convincing the jury. And I think this movie is so great because courtroom stuff can be really boring. And I think it's an incredible drama. I really think people should give it a chance if they haven't seen it. But Jess, getting down to the top two. What is your number two? My number two is The Wizard of Oz. Oh, old school. Old school. I loved this movie before I could even talk properly I uh, (laughs) like before I could understand communication and talking and word formation I was in love with this movie um my family tells me that I used to call it the weedy oz (laughs) which is so cute just imagine a little quaz saying the weedy oz Um, (laughs) little quaz God damn it. <laughs> Just chain smoking, asking to watch the weedy ass. Anyway. 
Anyway. <laughs> Take that part out. Anyway. Um, <laughs> so it's it's like Willy Wonka for me. Like as a kid, it was just so magical and enchanting and so colorful and so vibrant and so different. And it was just all this beautiful, grand adventure, just so out of this world, so imaginative. I mean, I watch it now. I, I've watched it like a year ago, and I still felt like the, the sense of imagination you feel as a kid where like almost anything is possible, any idea is possible. And, you know, you have a writer's mind. Like that imagination as a child means a lot. And so I really think it was The Wizard of Oz that like really inspired me to be creative and it inspired me to think outside the box too. Um, it's just, it's, I don't know, to me it's just magical. Like, I don't know how much I could really like say other than that. Like, it just makes me so happy to watch it. I, I think it's fun. Yes, at times it's cheesy and campy, but you know what? It, I love, that's why I love it. Like, that's part of it for me. Um... <laughs> It's the characters are all so wacky and so different from like Dorothy to Dorothy's friend to like even Dorothy's dog Toto is a whole like exciting character as a dog. Um, then you have Glinda, you have the Wicked Witch of the West, then you have Oz who, you know, turns out, spoiler, is kind of an asshole. He totally sucks. <laughs> but like, you know, is and, and deep within this this magical mystical far out land are really cool like nuggets of information for morality to to learn something about yourself to go on grand adventure like Dorothy does like go and grow and meet new people and and experience things you never thought you would but just know at the end of the day like your loved ones are still there and they're the ones that matters like that's a really big life lesson to teach little claws you know <laughs> like or like um like Oz, who is, <laughs> or like you know Oz, who is like great and this mystical being who's created this world, and we're all so grateful. And he's you know people look at him like I don't know how you would maybe a politician, where it's like he's done so many great things for us. Where deep down he actually hasn't, and he's actually not that great, and he's actually like filled with self doubt and self loathing, and he's just kind of winging it. And so what does that say to about what it really means to be a leader um so I don't know I just feel like as a kid it was one of those things that not only shaped my imagination but really shaped my ideas of what it means to be a good person and and gave life lessons that are actually like really big and condensed it into this fun magical land of Oz um also fun fact this was the very first movie that was released in Technicolor so it's a really big deal like this movie was a huge game changer in the industry. Um, you know, obviously Technicolor's kind of faded, but this was the one, I mean, just, could you just imagine, like, only seeing black and white, like, only seeing, like, the Lumineer Brothers kind of movies, and then you go into the movie theater in, like, the Depression era, and you see The Wizard of Oz? Like, how mind-blowing was that back then? Like, holy <laughs> shit. <laughs> oh, my God. Like, that must have been insane. Um... I, I, I love Judy Garland. I love her. I think she's beautiful and amazing. And Somewhere Over the Rainbow is still one of my favorite songs. I just, I love this movie so much. It makes me very happy. I actually, like, want to go watch it right now because I'm, like, getting very happy <laughs> thinking about it. Like, I love it. Little claws. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> That's your number two. 
I have a feeling you like it, Jess. <laughs> I love it. It makes, like I said, it makes me so happy. Like, it just does. It's just, like, one of those movies that, like, just brings so much joy to me. You've seen it, like, right? You've, you've seen it. Yeah. Okay, of I don't I've know. Seen it. I don't know. It's, I was just wondering. I, just... <laughs> I forgot to ask. <laughs> keep gushing about this movie but i feel like i'll just be talking in circles and just saying how much i love it so anyway brandon what is your number two so jess this may be controversial to no one (laughs) (laughs) but this was my number one and got bumped down to number two so there's a there's a brand new number one in town (laughs) um this movie has been my favorite movie for the last 10 years and has finally just been surpassed. That is The Dark Knight. Wow. I want to know what is your number one now. Because <laughs> I know you love The Dark Knight. Wow. So, yeah. Obviously, I could always, like, the, the this will always have a special place in my heart. Um, little uh, sophomore and high school Brandon... Um, going to the theater and just being blown away to where uh, basically like the movie just the the movie just grabbed me from like that opening sequence with the Joker and the bank robbery all the way through the end with Hans Zimmer's score, Christopher Nolan's direction, Heath Ledger's like legendary performance that I think we're still going to be talking about fifty years from now. It was incredible, and some of the set pieces. Um, are fantastic like i just it was crazy because for the last eight years prior to that movie like we'd been starting to get a surgence of comic book movies um but like there wasn't one that was taken super seriously like there was movies that like oh spider-man 2 was liked and like we liked the x-men movies and so forth but then like and batman begins was good but i didn't even see that at first but then dark knight came and everyone's just like holy shit, what, what, what? This is a fucking, this is based on a superhero? Like, this feels like a crime story, but with Batman thrown in. Like, it's crazy. Um, the only reason I feel like it got bumped down was because over the years, and all of our movies, can you can find flaws. I've just noticed more, I think. Um, this is actually something I brought up when I talked about The Matrix, but, like, Christopher Nolan's not good at directing, like, hand combat action. Like, I don't know if it's his editor or him, but, like, they just do the quick cuts where, like, Batman just kind of turns and punches and it's like, boop, 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 and the guys are down. It's like, I didn't, what the fuck happened? <laughs> and, like, I know that's 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 hard for me to say because, like, I love the movie, but it's not perfect. And um, there's some stuff with, like, Maggie Gyllenhaal that I'm just not a huge Eh, you know, I, I, there's just some stuff that's flawed, um, in the movie, like nitpicky stuff. It is not, does not ruin the movie by any stretch of the imagination, but I just find like noticing little things like that, that, uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't probably wouldn't be here if I didn't see this movie. Like this really inspired me to, I was when, James Gordon or James Gordon, Gary Oldman, not Alan Rickman, (laughs) Gary Oldman (laughs) is giving the monologue at the end about like a watchful protector, you know, not the one we need right now. Like, and then like the music is building and 
Batman is is riding the motorcycle into the darkness, and like you see the cape fly uh, flapping, you know, and he's just like a dark night. Bung, ding. I was just like, <laughs> sitting on the edge of my seat like the whole time, and that was just an ending that I didn't see coming. Like I was like, wait, he didn't like save the day. Like he did, but he's like now gonna be considered a villain. What? What is this? And. Yeah, I just literally said, like, in my head, like, I want to do something like this. Which, like, this is definitely not my writing style or my direction style, anything like that. But I just knew that I wanted to be involved in filmmaking in some capacity because of this movie. So I realized it always had a special place in my heart. But at the moment, it's not my number one anymore. It's been toppled recently. So, but, uh, Jess... You've obviously seen The Dark Knight. I know you're a good fan of this, too. Oh, yeah. It's amazing. I agree with you. I think... I don't know. Like, like the ending is non-traditional. The beginning... I mean, that beginning, that bank scene is amazing. And it just grabs you right from the start and just hooks you in. And it just takes you on the whole ride. I could see what you're saying about the fight sequences. I never really noticed that. But you're right. Like, there are some where it's like, oh... You get out of that. Okay. Um, yeah, it's great, though. I love it. I think it's amazing. And for me, it's actually like a movie I can rewatch over and over and over again and still be Oh yeah. so into it. Oh, yeah, it's great. And you're right. Heath Ledger, like, it's iconic. Like, his performance is just up there and just unlike anything else. I would say best comic book film of all time at the moment. And, yeah, one of the best films. Ten years. It's been ten years. Holy shit. That's crazy. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> we were 15, so, 16 when I'm that came so out. So old. Jesus. <laughs> yes. <sighs> well, Jess, shall we do a drum roll? Okay. For our numero unos. This is so janky. What is your number one? It is. <laughs> my number one, Star Wars Empire Strikes Back. This should not be a surprise Shocker. to anyone, right? If you've been listening to anything I say... You were wearing a Star say, Wars sweatshirt, and I, I wore a Star Wars shirt. I know, I'm crazy. <laughs> I am so crazy. Um, yeah, no, if, if anyone has ever heard me talk, like, they know this is my favorite movie of all time. Um, I just fucking love it. Like, I, you know what? I, I just love it. I know it's not a perfect movie. <laughs> I know there's some flaws. Like, I mean, yes, I get it. Like, some of our main characters hang out in a beast's belly for like a good portion of the film and didn't even realize that. Yeah, that's a, that's, that's a flaw. I'll give you that. It's a total flaw. Yeah. But it's great. And I love it. That is it. something internet haters would shit on today. Okay, so like one thing that I found really funny was like, totally, like people that were freaking out about Last Jedi and some of the like moments in the script that bugged them or whatever. It's like, did y'all forget like... In Empire Strikes Back, they are in a beast's stomach and then are like, oh, wait, we're not in a cave. What? And like, come on, guys. This is, these, these movies are not flawless. Like, I love them very, very much, but they're not perfect. They, they have flaws. Anyway, um, I, I mean, I love, I love the Star Wars universe minus the prequels. I hate the prequels. I actually just ignore the prequels and pretend like they don't exist, but the the three original movies debate for another time <laughs> oh jesus <laughs> anyway um i think this is my favorite out of the original trilogy because it 
takes the universe and expands it and then also sets up for a good ending, I think, which is what we should get in a middle movie. Most sequels are disastrous and terrible, um, but I feel like this is a very strong sequel in that like, it builds on the story that's already been in place, takes it into very exciting new territory, and shocks you and surprises you, and then gets ready for the next one and gets ready for the ending. Um, there's a lot of like really big, iconic Star Wars universe moments in this movie. Uh, we get to meet, like you said, uh, you mentioned Boba Fett earlier. This was, well, he, it's kind of a lie. He was in the Star Wars Christmas special, but no one saw that. So this is like his first real movie that he was in. <laughs> Um, and we get to see Lando for the first time in Cloud City, and of course, my favorite, Yoda. First time we get to see Yoda. Um, and this is the first time we get to, like, we get, we get a wider universe, too. So we start off in Hoth, then we get to Cloud City, you know, it's, it's just, then we get to Dagobah system. Like, we, we see different places, and we see more of this universe, which I think is more exciting. And I think that, like, really started to lay the groundwork on the universe expanding even further. Um, going back to Yoda for a second, like, there are so many truth bombs that Yoda drops that still, like, I carry with me. Like, my favorite movie quote of all time is, do or do not, there is no try. Like, I love it. I say it to myself when I'm, like, being whiny or, like, not wanting to do work or something. <laughs> I'll be like, what does Yoda say? <laughs> what does he say? Um, so I think, but it's also, like, one of my favorite movies as a kid. And it was, I've said this before, and I truly mean it. One of the first movies that I understood what filmmaking was at a very young age, like I, I was so obsessed with this universe, this world of all these characters that look so different and like just, just this whole different environment. And as a kid, I understood that like people made those things. People made a C-3PO, they made a Hoth, they made the Millennium Falcon. There were people behind this universe that they were that were creating it. And so at a very young age, I understood that concept because of this movie and because of watching like the weird like. Do you remember like I got I had this on my VHS copy where if like you got the to the end of the movie and you got to the end of the credits, they would play like a little like like behind the scenes of like Star Wars. Did you have that? Mine had that. Oh yeah. Okay, so yeah. you know what I'm talking. So that was that was mind blowing for me at like five or six to like see them being made and then realizing like, oh oh they're humans like oh oh this is how this movie thing works oh okay okay like that changed the trajectory of my whole life was discovering what that concept was because that's later what I wanted to end up doing so like literally Star Wars is the reason why. I chose to go to film school. It's the reason why I choose to do the work that I do. It's what inspires me the most. You know, I think of like, I don't know, like I just think of all the people that it's brought joy to also. Like Star Wars in general brings people together. Families watch it together. Friends watch it together. The internet watches it together and we rip on each other, but whatever. Like it still brings a lot of joy into a lot of people's lives. And just that concept of a film doing that is, is so amazing. So, like I said, it's not perfect. I know it's not a perfect movie, but it's my favorite, mostly because of the, like, emotional attachment I have towards it. Yeah. I I mean, something that you 
pointed out before that like I really want to go off of. It's funny because like you you said like a lot of sequels don't work. Like they try to either recreate the first one or they try to do this and like sure people could say Godfather 2 was like one of the first good sequels or whatever, but no, people still today when they talk about like whether a movie's like has a good second movie is Empire Strikes Back. Uh, like even when like Dark Knight came out, people were like, "Oh, it's the Empire Strikes Back uh, of Batman," or, or or like I remember even like when Skyfall came, they're like, "Oh, it's the Empire Strikes Back of this," or you know, like people love talking about how like that is a movie that and that is you still hear like, "Oh yeah, it's a darker tone," because like dark, uh, Empire Strikes Back does have a darker tone. Like it it is still like fun and like an adventure in this but like it goes in some directions that you don't expect and like i actually um before like moviepilot.com stopped letting uh maybe uh not just me but like people be some of the writers um in their creators program was i wrote an article about how like right now in hollywood we have an issue with third uh action movies third act final battle like it just it all leads up to a big action sequence and like it's the same but like empire strikes back showed that you don't need that because the hoth battle is like done within the first like 40 like 30 30 minutes or 45 minutes or so and then like that's the big action piece mm-hmm. like sure there's the lightsaber battle at the end um like there's some space stuff but like that's the big battle like there's the, the you know with the do you say at ads or ATATs? <laughs> I say at ads, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I don't welcome know. ATATs. Star as well. Wars nerds I'm not get one over of those it. weirdos. You know, it's fine either way. Yeah, like we'll just say at at like when like they're just like it's like it's like it's Star Wars. It's like a war. Like they're they're just like just coming in on the rebels and just totally like it looks like they're just gonna annihil him and the rebels are just like fuck we gotta like abandon ship and then like luke takes one down with the grappling hook thing and he fucking flies up with his lightsaber and takes one down like he like that is such a big action piece a lot of it is like stop motion animation believe it or not <laughs> like people who don't know that but it was crazy and then you have the rest of the movie. There's like training sequences and drama and slow moments. And like that was just so different. Like everyone loves to do a movie where it's like, oh, action piece does something. Little parts here. Build, build, build. And then the big action piece where there's a giant thing in the sky that's CGI and it explodes. And oh, my God, buildings. New York. New York is always under construction like in Avengers and whatnot. But, like, Empire Strikes Back just flips the script and says, like, all right, we're going to put our big piece at the beginning, and then you're going to deal with the rest. Um, and it's going to be just as good. And, Jess, I feel like we can't finish this conversation without talking about what is deemed probably one of the greatest film twists of all time. And one of the most kind of quotes of all time. Would you like to dive in on your reaction when this moment happened? So, I was a child, and I do not remember how I felt towards it at all. (laughs) I don't think my memory was fully formed at that time. Um, But I will say, you're totally right about this third act being so different, in that there isn't a big battle. There's a 
awesome lightsaber battle that has such a twist of Vader being Luke Skywalker's father. Spoiler. Oops. Oops. Um, but... No. 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 <laughs> I, I'm, no. I'm redacting your spoiler warning. Okay. Yeah, by it now... It has been over like, 30 years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, straight up. Um, I, I love it because... Again, I don't remember my reaction to it. I was, I probably couldn't talk. I have no idea. But just the idea, the concept of a franchise or like a, a sequel, because it wasn't a franchise at that point, and we didn't really have franchise at that point. But a sequel, giving such a twist like that, and then just ending the movie, that's that must have been mind blowing to just to get to get that to get that piece of knowledge that this is what's actually happening but you got to wait like you got to wait to figure it out like like we were like when after we saw force awakens we wanted to know what happened in the last jedi so bad but could you imagine like back then like seeing empire strikes back finding out that twist and then that's it and you don't have anything you got to wait till the third movie that must have been insane that must have like driven people crazy like there wasn't internet chat rooms. No. <laughs> there wasn't like all these fan theories. No, and like vlogging on Twitter. <laughs> no, none of that. It was just boom, that's it. And I think that's probably why it's such an iconic movie. I'm sure it's stuck with so many people trying to process that and just go on. It's just that's so cool. I don't know. I. It's hard to, like, give my opinion of it because, like I said, I saw it when I was so little. Like, that's just always how it's been. It's always been that, like, Darth Vader is Luke Skywalker's dad. Like, I don't know any other life besides that. So, for me, there was never, like, a big, like, oh, I didn't see that coming because, like, I I didn't see that coming. I was, like, three. I couldn't even, like, my parents just, like, plopped me in front of the movie and I loved it. Like, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. But it's, like you said, like, that... It's something that people still try to replicate today by having like a sequel be darker and ending on like a dour note and like like having the villains win and it's just like that was so revolutionary that it seems like the rebels are just like on the ropes uh like um and also before we're done, the fact that Sola was put in <laughs> carbonite you, you know. <laughs> We didn't know because, like, Harrison Ford possibly didn't want to come back, so we weren't sure if that meant that he's just dead. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was a big ru- that's a big rumor is like he wanted out from Empire Strikes Back, so this was his way of being like, eh, Am I gonna come back or not? So, like, yeah, two like really big game changers in terms of the storyline and the plot just like thrown at the ending, and that's it. Like, that's it. Wait till the next one and comes out. Just when the love story was getting heated up. Right, right. Yeah, I also like, I do love Han Solo and Princess Leia. And so I think that I also love that piece of the pie too. Is like they have their weird sort of like banter, but kind of like are super into each other. Like I'm, I'm for it. I'm, I ship them. I've been shipping them. <laughs> this was my number one for always. My ride or die. Yes. <laughs> let's let's round it out let's do it what is your number one i'm so curious now what is it (laughs) this is one that we've talked about on a few podcasts it's the big sick wow 
that jumped to your number one. Yeah. It's wow. a movie that didn't even come out a year ago. The Big Sick, guys. I have talked about this. It was my favorite summer movie. It's my favorite movie of 2017. And I, like... And the funny thing is, I've only seen it fully through twice. But it's just that good. And, like, when I was looking at my top ten... Um, and just, like, when I look at movies in general... I've, I've brought this up before. I hope I don't sound like I'm repeating myself. But, obviously... Not everyone listens to every single episode or remembers everything that we say, but I always think about what would I, as a writer or as a filmmaker, or like when you and I just produce stuff, it's like, what would, what would I do differently? And like all the films, it's like, oh, I would have changed that. I would have cut that scene. I would have done that. You know, like there's so many things I would change. Big Sick wouldn't change anything. Straight up would not change anything. And, like, even some of these classics, like Dark Knight, I would change how, like, some of the action sequences were done. I would change, like, a casting of Maggie Gyllenhaal, you know, Few Good Men, I would do this. Or, like, all these movies, I would find something to change. Big Sick, and I know I've only seen it twice, I couldn't think of anything. I literally can't. It is a movie that it tackles so much. And, like, I don't want to overhype it if you haven't seen it, guys. But, like, this is a movie that I almost feel like some other ones I've mentioned on my list. It's like you watch it the first time and you're just getting the plot. You're just getting the characters. But then you watch it again and you really think about it and all that it's tackling. So for those who don't know, this is about Kumail Nanjiani. He's a uh, Pakistani comedian who um, it's a true story about how him and his wife, Emily V. Gordon, kind of got together where... um, and it's not a spoiler because it's in the trailers and the promo work, but basically while they're dating, when they're kind of on the outs, um, she falls into a medically induced coma randomly, like out of nowhere. And like, then this is how he meets her parents for the first time, which are brilliantly played by Holly Hunter and Ray Romano. Ray Romano, or Holly Hunter was doing a lot of awards buzz for supporting actress, Ray Romano, I think, should have been nominated for Supporting Actor too. Like, he's that good. Like, they're these parents that are just in this situation where, like, they don't know what's wrong with their daughter, yet they have to deal with, like, her sort of, at the time, kind of ex-on-the-rocks boyfriend they've never met before. And it's also about him uh, with his comedy. He's trying to be a stand-up comedian in Chicago at the time. A big story thread is how... His parents, uh, it's they're the first people of their family to move from Pakistan to America, and they still believe in arranged marriages, so they want to set Kamal up with a Pakistani woman to just, like, boom, you're together. And he's like, I don't really believe in that. And um, so there's, like, some conflict with his family. There's some conflict with his own personal career, obviously with his uh, girlfriend that's in a coma, And then he starts seeing the drama going on with her parents. They don't have a perfect marriage either. And so, like, I couldn't believe how much they juggled. Like, it's just a two-hour movie. But, like, as a writer, I'm like, oh, my God. How how on earth did Kumail and his real-life wife, Emily, who uh, she doesn't play herself in the movie, but, like, how did they juggle this script? And it's like, well... 
it's so good it was nominated for academy award guys for best screenplay um best original screenplay and yeah it's also hilarious dramatic like there's some parts that'll make you almost cry some parts that will crack you up i'll just like i'll throw a shout out to one of the best a great joke of the movie um, there's an uncomfortable interaction with Ray Romano, Holly Hunter, and Kumail, like one of the first times that <laughs> basically Ray Romano, so 9-11, you know, <laughs> he thinks that like Kumail's oh people were like involved and like Kumail's like, what about it? You know, he's like, <laughs> and like Ray Romano totally realizes what he said was like terrible. He's like, I just, you know, I never really talk about it with people like you know like he just <laughs> realized he's trying to like take back what he's saying and he's like what do you think and he's just like uh oh yeah we lost 12 of our best guys you know <laughs> like it, kumail tries to make this dark joke about the situation and they're just like confused and like uncomfortable and <laughs> he's just like oh i'm i'm kidding i'm anti 9-11 you know (laughs) (laughs) but there's so many moments like that where it's just hilarious um it 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 was like i said written by kumail najian and emily v gordon directed by michael showalter from like wet hot american summer and um uh what else did he do fuck um probably what he was in stella that uh, that trio with Michael Ian Black and David Wayne, um, but yeah, this movie just like I knew it would be good because I had heard about their true story on the podcast, like how like she fell into a coma, they didn't know what was wrong with her, and I was like, oh, that'll be a fun little rom com. It's like no, it, they tackled so many things with family and different cultures. Uh, and the last thing I'll say is, as someone who's done stand up comedy in Chicago for a few years now. This is the most accurate movie representation I've seen of stand-ups, um, like, how they interact with each other. Like, there's parts where, like, his friends are played by, like, Bo Burnham, and I think it's, like, A.D. Bryant Cody, uh, from, like, SNL. I think she actually went to Columbia that we went to. Oh, she did. That's right. She totally did. Yeah. Um, they're her, uh, Kumail's friends that totally, like, give him shit. And, um, like, they just are always riffing off one another and making fun of one another. And there's even a part where, like, they pretty much call another comedian hack. Like, that, he's like, oh, he sucks. You know, and then, like, the guy comes off stage and, like, great set, man. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, that is so true. Well, my fellow comedians out there where you see someone, you're just like, oh, God, he sucks. You know, like, he does the same stuff all the time. And then just like, hey, man, great set. You know? <laughs> So, The Big Sick, nothing I would change about it, and I guess I'll just repeat myself. If you've heard it before, it, I, this film also has a special place in my heart because this was I watched this in theaters in a time when it was the night before opening night of my play. Never done a play before. I was the most stressed I've ever been with my life, and I'll just be blunt. Most people who know me probably know this, but I was going through a divorce and um, it was heartbreaking. I, you know, didn't know what was going on. I was stressed about that and the play. 
And I literally just like, my parents were like, oh, what do you want to do tonight? It's the night before your show. And I was like, I don't want to be here. I, w- <laughs> I was wandering Walmart, not knowing what to do. And finally, like I looked on my phone. And I was like, oh, the big sick is playing at the theater. I'm just going to go see that. And the movie just grabbed me and said, all right, Brandon, I know you are sh- the most stressed you've ever been in your life. But we're going to take you on this two-hour journey of a movie and just let you forget about your stress. And it totally did. And it was exactly what I needed. And, like, that is honestly the magic of movies is to transform you into another world for, you know, 90 minutes, two hours, three hours, and just let you forget about your problems. I still need to see it. (laughs) (laughs) I have, like, no comment other than that I still need to see it. Like, I do. I need to see it. I, I really hope I don't overhype it for you. <laughs> me, me too. <laughs> I hope you didn't either. Um, I'll watch it. I will. I will. I will finally watch it one day, and then yeah, yeah. I would you just really say, like, like I said, it though. Like, like you love it, so like I'm very curious yeah. to see it. I, I gotta see it. Well, like I said, I would just say like it may not blow your mind the first time you see it. Like it, it, it just like don't go in expecting it to like make your top 10 or anything <laughs> like just go into it like it was in theaters like you're just like oh this looks good and like that's it because i i i have been ruined many movies when people overhype it and say it's like one of their favorites or whatever and then i'm like that's it so go into it just enjoy it have fun and that goes for you listeners too if you watch it just 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 enjoy that it's a it's a rom-com that is done how rom-com should be where there's comedy there's drama and it's not the most straightforward story arc it's not just well the guy screwed up and he's got to make it up to the girl so they can get back together and he can win her back you know like you've seen a million times it's different it's not about just their love story it's about so much more so just and audience members if you're gonna watch it just go into it knowing that it's going to be a good movie and hopefully I don't overhype it. All right. Well, I'm down. I'll watch it, but I'll, I'll lower my expectations before I do. <laughs> well, should we recap our top 10 favorite movies of all time? Yes. Hit your top 10, Jess. All right. Number one, Empire Strikes Back. Number two, The Wizard of Oz. Number three, Reservoir Dogs. Number four, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Number five, Silence of the Lambs. Number six, Mean Girls. Number seven, Anchorman, The Legend of Ron Burgundy. Number eight, (laughs) Zero Dark Thirty. Number nine, Scream. Number ten, Get Out. (laughs) Yes, and my top ten revisited is number one, The Big Sick. Number two, The Dark Knight. Number three, A Few Good Men. Number four, Back to the Future. Number five, The Matrix. Number six, The Breakfast Club. Number seven, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Number eight, Reservoir Dogs. Number nine, Star Wars Episode Six: Return of the Jedi. And number ten, Steve Jobs. We made it. We did it. We made we it. it. <laughs> wow. We did. We did it. It was a long episode, guys, we know, but it was our 50th episode. Woo! Woo! We had to go big, right? It's 50. 
Yes, and our top ten movies of all time. We had to go there. It's a big deal. uh, Jess, I believe, just like last time when we did our top ten of 2017, I think we have some homework. There's a couple movies that the other one haven't seen. Yeah, you have to see Science of the Lambs, like, now. Like, Like, well, like... Like from no, start no, to no, finish. you do, you do. Stop it, you do. I know, do. I'm not saying I okay, don't. Don't, don't, I'm just saying to, you're don't, act- don't. I'm so- <laughs> you were just acting like I haven't watch seen it. any of it. Okay, but I don't just watch all of it from start to finish, please. Okay, I've wanted okay. to. Okay, <laughs> then do, just then just do it, just do it, then just do it. I think it's on Netflix, isn't it on Netflix? No excuse, I don't know. no excuse. Anyway. <laughs> And you see the big sick. Yeah, I will. Yeah. Like, I feel like, like, yeah, I'll see it. Like, I will. No, I for sure will. But, like, I feel like not seeing Science of the Lambs is, like, sort of a bigger deal. Well, because it's... I'm it's just saying. I'm just like... saying. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Anyway, uh. <laughs> this has been so much fun. Let's not end it on a <laughs> sour note, even though I'm very upset by you. It's fine. It's fine. Okay, what if I said that, like, I saw some of it and I hated it? <laughs> I would be, like, so shocked. So shocked. Like, I don't even know what I... I don't know. I don't know how I would react. How, how could you hate that movie? But, the, but no, I don't. But that's what I'm saying is, like, isn't it better that I've seen some and I know that I should see more and I want to see more? All right, true. That's a fair point. That's a good point. All right, all right. I'll let... Yeah. <laughs> Okay, I've calmed down you'll con- a little bit. You'll concede. Yeah, <laughs> it's not worth it. It's not worth the battle anymore. Why are and we fighting like... now? I don't like this. this, is... <laughs> this I think arguing. it's because it's late. It's late. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> we're both stressed about people we're dating. <laughs> <laughs> We've just had it up to here with everything. Where can they find you online, Jess? Well, I can be found on Twitter at JessQuaz or on Instagram at Quasica. You should sync those up. <laughs> you make you know, I know. For branding purposes, I really should, but uh, <laughs> I don't know if I can. Can I do that? I don't know. Yeah, you can change Whatever. your at. Can... <laughs> you can, can find okay. me on Twitter. I think so, yeah. <laughs> You can find me uh-huh. on Twitter and Instagram at the pros, T-H-E-P-R-O-Z-E. And please, you hear this on every podcast, but before you decide to delete this episode off of your device, please rate, review, subscribe to the podcast, leave comments, email us, entertainmentbuffet at gmail.com, things like that. Reach out to us. What do you want to hear about the next 50 episodes? We got tons of episode ideas. We're going to do some more rankings. We're going to talk. We're going to get back into some discussion episodes after the last few episodes being ranking. Talk about TV. Talk about movies. whatnot. What do you want to talk about, though, guys? Give us, give us an idea, and we'll give you a shout-out on the podcast. Actually, before I forget, we did get a review. I have to thank friend of the show, Charlie Duber, um, or his his username Duberlicious. Ooh, <laughs> I like that. He gave us he gave us five stars, and he said, <laughs> "God damn it!" He said, "Holy squawk! What a high quality podcast filled with high quality movie stuff. One could say <laughs> it's double stuffed." 
if this podcast was a cookie and great with ice cold milk. Anyway, comma, nice job. Thanks, Dubalicious. Yes. So nice. Oh, God, Duber. Um, yeah, you can check him and his wife on the podcast, Movie Trailer Trash, Friends of the Show. Also check out the Shelved Podcast and all of our other content on Entertainment Buffet. We took like, <laughs> such a dark turn. At, like, it was like we like got our top ten list. We were like, yeah, movies are great, right? And then we just just got so crazy. You got so def- you got so you got so defensive about Silence of the Lambs. I know. I think I brought this hostility, and I apologize for that. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Yay! Though fifty. Yay! Everything's Yay. great.